you would, turn in the Bible to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Last week, we took a break from James because we had a guest preacher here for Bible Translation Sunday. It was an honor to have them here, the layman's here with us. The week before that, we finished up James chapter 2. So today, we're at James chapter 3. I'm using this new Bible. It's not even broken in yet, and it doesn't even lay flat, which is very frustrating for a preacher. Before we get started, um, I got some good news to share with you all, something for us to celebrate. As an organization, we need to celebrate wins, and here's a big one. About a month ago, we got a call from Dare to Care, the organization here in Louisville that we partner with to get food to people in our community. And they said that they have received a grant from Feeding America. Uh, we did not apply for a grant. We didn't even know anything about a grant. Dare to Care of Louisville received money from a grant for Feeding America. And um, so they sat down as a board at Dare to Care and looked at all the agencies in greater Louisville that have food pantries. And they said that our church's food pantry is in the top three of productivity and effectiveness, which is really, really an honor and a compliment. We don't have anybody here paid to do that. We have a lot of volunteers, a lot of hardworking people. Um, and so that's pretty impressive, right? So they then went on to tell us that they would like for us to apply for some money. And so Tish Harden, who leads ours, and I think Miss Tish here today. Yeah, Miss Tish, there she is. Uh, we got together and we, we worked on that. And we got a call this past week that Dare to Care is giving our church $64,000 for us to improve our Dare to Care over the next year. And I want us to recognize right now all of the people in our church that have worked hard for that. So whether it's one hour or whether it's 30 hours a week, if you help at all with Dare to Care, would you please stand up? You guys can have a seat. What a huge compliment it was. Tish and I just kind of laughed about it. We had no idea. We knew that people were working hard. We knew that there's a lot of food that comes in on Mondays and Tuesdays and goes right back out every Wednesday, and it takes a lot of volunteers to do that, but it has been such an encouragement for us to get that good word from them. Uh, we're excited about that. We, we have some restrictions on how that money is to be spent, basically on food and supplies and, and just making us be able to feed people more. Uh, but that's a good thing. All that money has to be spent within the next year, <laughs> so we need to get busy with it. Um, but what an honor it is for our church to have hardworking, faithful, serving people that are serving the people around us. May God use that. May God use that. And um, uh, Miss Tish, a lot of people stood up right there. That's a, that's a team that you have, have built, but we are so thankful for you, okay? We are so thankful for you. Keep doing it. Do it with the strength that the Lord gives you. Do it with the joy of the Lord. Do it with lots of prayers that the Lord would use this work to help people know him. Um, do it to help people see that God's people like to love and love well and love without judgment and um, keep doing it. We are thankful for you, okay, Ms. Tish? Thank you so much. All right, James chapter three in this series that we're calling Faith Works is about to approach a subject here in chapter three 
that is a heavy one for every one of us. Our speech, the tongue, our mouths. And we have already seen that James is intense. Remember, this is the half-brother of our Lord Jesus. He was not one of the 12 apostles. He was the first person to write, or this letter is the earliest letter written in the New Testament. He was on fire for God, and it comes out in this short letter. There are only 108 verses in these five chapters. But with that being said, James holds nothing back. His letter is meant to be to us a message from God in power that would truly open our eyes, awaken our hearts, and bring conviction. And I hope today as we look at uh, speech, words, mouth, the tongue, that you will take it to heart. Read with me, if you will. James chapter three, verses one through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large, are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so, ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. If you didn't know that the Bible had strong language for our speech, then I'm glad that you're here today. If you will admit humbly in your faith that your speech is one of the biggest challenges for you, then I'm glad that you're here today. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm glad that you're here today because he has help for us. And if you're not a believer yet and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I'm glad that you're here today because here is the answer to this huge problem. 
James's letter is known for being very choppy. There seems to be very little cohesiveness with it. Uh, it's hard to pick up on themes and connections as we really saw through chapters one and two. But this section in the middle of the book, chapter three, very much so goes together. These 12 verses, as much as anything in the five chapters, clearly go together. He's talking about our speech. And so that alone should gain our attention. James hits the speech hard here in chapter three, but what you hopefully have already seen is that James always talks about our speech. And this is interesting because again, this is the half-brother of Jesus. This is a man who was living for God. He was empowered by God, on fire for God. He was passionate about living for Jesus. He had conviction and he had strength to live by faith. And so what happens with James in his small letter is that the speech comes up all the time. Perhaps you remember from James chapter one in verse 19 where he says, we are to be quick to hear and slow to speak. Or perhaps you remember from James chapter two, verse 14, he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? If you say it, but you don't live it out, then that saying it does not mean anything. Then we have all of this here in chapter three, but then when we get to chapter four, you're gonna see him say this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. There you see him talking about our speech again in chapter four. You get to chapter five, and it is in chapter five, verse 12, where he says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear. The Bible says that. Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. James, in his short book, is talking about our speech all the time. He knows how huge this is. In five chapters, in 108 verses, where the theme of the book is faith without works is dead, he keeps bringing up our mouths. He keeps bringing up our tongues. And so, may it be that perhaps our speech is the most important work? I know you don't think that way, but maybe you will after today. I know that we think the big things, right? The big things, like stealing and like presence and like faithfulness and like serving and like sexual morality or marital faithfulness or purity. These types of things are the way we often judge ourselves or our money and our giving and our stewardship, which those are all works he brings up too. But if in this book, it is our speech that keeps being brought up and keeps being brought up and keeps being brought up, then maybe speech is the primary work to prove that we have faith. If faith works at all, then faith should work out of our mouths, James wants us to know. And so today, I just want to walk through it. Sometimes I try really hard to come up with some catchy points, but I just want to walk through this today. Chapter three begins with two big warnings. Look at verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. The Bible is consistent in this. 
that teaching means to communicate something. It means to get some people that are learning to be learned, to be educated, to be informed, to come to know, to understand. That's what teaching is. And while there is such strength in teaching, we all must admit that right now in this fall of 2020, teachers in schools are working overtime. They are working so hard. They are trying to be effective communicators. They are trying to be uh, teachers that are helping their students. And there are challenges, and we appreciate those teachers. We also need to see that what they are teaching is important. So not just the effort and job of teaching, but actually what is taught is important. And this is what James says here. And when we get into teaching the Bible or teaching truth or teaching what God says, then this becomes ultra important. And so James just says, hey, I advise you or warn you to not be a Bible teacher. There is such danger there. And if you dare teach the Bible in your home, to your children, in your school, at your church, you best make sure you don't try to get fancy with it, that you just say what this says. There is a huge warning to teachers here. He says, they will be judged with greater strictness. Strong judgment for those who want to say what God says. We need to be careful with that. Now, I have heard many times, and you have too, people in church or people in Christian homes, people with family that they say believe, say, well, I was never taught that. I'd never heard that before. Nobody ever brought that up to me. We never read that. We never studied that. We never talked about that. And so if there's all of this teaching going on, it raises the question, what are you teaching? If there's all this talk and interaction and life being done under the umbrella of Christ is Lord and God's word is true, what's being taught? Because James makes it serious that we are trying to speak on behalf of God or develop a, a, a faithfulness under the truth of God. And we've not done that at times. So we are to hear this warning. R.C. Sproul says, James gives a sober warning concerning the responsibility of teachers. Teachers exert influence over trusting students, a relationship that makes the students vulnerable to serious error. The teacher is held in strict account for what he or she teaches. This strict judgment should restrain teachers from careless words. Careless words. Careless words. The tongue of the teacher can be a devastating peril. And it doesn't matter how good you are at teaching. It doesn't matter how much the students like your class. It doesn't matter how much the congregation likes your messages. If it is not true, it's bad. It doesn't matter if you felt good or you felt inspired. It doesn't matter if you left out of here and went to run a marathon because you were so motivated by the message. If the message is not faithful to God's message, then it is dangerous. It is bad. And James, before he even gets to talking to all of us, warns teachers 
first warning that we need to hear today is teachers will be judged with greater strictness. Now, on one hand, we could say, well, you ought not teach. But better than that, much better than that is you ought to teach what God says. It ought to be your standard in your home, at your dinner table, at your hospital beds, with your children, in your schools, in your churches, in your small groups, in your Sunday school classes, in our kids' ministry, in our youth ministry, in everything that is, there is teaching done, it ought to be your standard that the truth of God be communicated. And if it will not, then we must be warned that is wrong. There's another warning here, though, verse 2, and he's much more understanding here. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. The second warning that we get here is that we all struggle with this, and that certainly should cause you to take a deep breath and realize that it's not me ranting at how bad y'all are at talking. This is God saying that we all struggle with this. There is nobody, no, there is nobody that does not struggle with their speech, with their mouths. There are all sorts of ways that we struggle with this, but we all do. We all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in this way. It is hard to control our mouths. Now, one of the bad things about us all being sinners is that we, we're all guilty of seeing your sin is worse than my sin. We're all guilty of that, right? We're real bad about that. I've got sins, but your sins are a lot worse, right? Right? And that's the way we tend to think about people. And this same thing happens specifically with speech, right? Uh, we hear people say, I hate a liar, man. I just can't stand a liar. And if you know somebody that's a liar, like that's the worst of all, right? I hate a liar, but over here, they're a complainer. They don't lie, but they complain a lot, right? And over here, you got somebody that boasts. I mean, they don't lie and they don't complain, but they talk about themselves all the time, man. You hang around them for a little bit, you'll know all the things they're good at, or you'll know all the things they think that they're good at, right? They are a boaster right here, right? And we could go on and on. Some lie, some complain, some boast, some insult, right? We could go on and on. And all of these things are issues. All of these things are problems. And so I want to wake us up this morning to, hey, just because somebody's a liar doesn't mean that they're a worse talker than you. If you're a complainer but not a liar or a boaster and not a complainer or a liar, these are all problems with our mouths. Some people talk too much. Some people don't talk enough. Some are too loud. Some struggle with honesty. Some struggle with clarity. Some with boasting. Some with harshness, harshness, some with slander, some with hate speech, some with rude, crude language, but we all struggle with it. Now that we've got cameras everywhere and we can record everything, it's like we see all the time uh, somebody else being exposed because their mic was left on, right? Aren't these stories in the news all the time? They were a nice guy. I mean, they looked good, man. They had their makeup on. They were on TV. And we were just conditioned to think that this person was the purest heart, right? And then they went to commercial break, and their mic was left on. And then we saw the real them, right? And then we get the thing, that that's not the real them, right? We get the apology, that wasn't the real them. 
And if they'd have known their mic was on, buddy, they would not certainly have said that. Hey, we all struggle with our speech. It may be in this direction or another, but we need help with it. Two warnings here at the beginning of James chapter three. Teachers will be judged with greater strictness. And number two, we all struggle with this. These warnings show us that speech matters. These warnings show us that our mouths, our lips, our tongues, what comes out of us is ultra important. We must give attention to our speech. We must not be here this Sunday morning to make excuses. We must not minimize it or downplay it. We must not say, hey, I'm doing pretty good in a lot of areas, but that's just something about, hey, I was raised that way. You know, it's just kind of the way everybody that's in my life talks that way. Hey, I mean, it's just kind of normal locker room speech, work speech. You know, we got all these excuses. No, let's not make excuses this morning, right now at this very hour. And let's see what the word of God says. And it gives us some warnings. We want to be people who communicate well truth, who speak, who use our mouths well, so we hear the warnings. Speech matters, and so now we devote ourselves to it. After the two warnings in the first two verses, he shifts, and he gives us three awesome examples, hands-on, real-life, basic, simple, practical examples. The first is in verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Isn't that cool? A horse can weigh a 1,000 pounds, so strong, so powerful, and they'll put this little contraption in their mouth, a bit, and it can control the horse. A little 150-pound man can get that horse to go wherever he wants it to go the horse is so much bigger, so much stronger because of that thing that is in the mouth. Verse four gives us a different example. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Big ships, waves and wind controlling and influencing, right? Heavy ships, right? I mean, this is hard to drive a ship. But they got this little rudder at the back that somebody can control and show that ship which way to go. Isn't that fascinating? My family loves to go for walks downtown. We do the walking bridge or we just walk down there at the waterfront. We love doing that. It's nice. And every time we're down there, we just stand amazed at these gigantic barges that come by. And I know y'all have seen those, right? These barges can be 100 yards long. And you think to yourself when you see that, how do they steer it? I've tried to back a trailer up before and it's nearly impossible. It is so hard to back up a trailer. It's only 20 feet long. These barges can be a 1,000 yards. They are so long. And there's a little rudder that will just control where it's gonna go. Now, it may take some skill to know how to do it, but they can do it. That's the point. You can control a giant boat, a massive ship by a rudder. They don't have a steering wheel that's the size of the ship, right? They don't have a rudder down there that's the size of the ship. It just takes a little rudder to control the entire ship. The first example is the bit in the horse's mouth. The second example is the rudder on a large ship. And the third example, what he spends more time on, 
is in the second half of verse five, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. A forest fire. Now what we know about fires is it only takes a a spark to do it. If you've ever grilled, you know that all you gotta do is light the match and put it in there. Now you got the grill ready to go. Just a little match and you're ready to go. And you can make it burn for an hour and you can cook steaks or five steaks or six steaks. You can cook hamburgers for everybody you got just right there at the little grill. But you know what started it? One match. That's how a fire works. But if you've seen the news, you know lately we've had some major wildfires going on in California. Devastating type stuff. We're pretty far from California, so maybe we don't think about it as much or it's not, a, it's not affected us. But we've seen the images on TV. Listen to this. In 2020 alone, Four million acres have burnt up in California. Four million acres in 2020 alone. 100,000 people have been evacuated. 30 people have died from wildfires in the forest in California in 2020. You know what they wish they knew? What started it? Was it a cigarette? Was it a campfire? What was it? What started this little fire? Now, now here's the thing. It is super dry out there. They're in a drought. It's not been raining. They need it to rain desperately. They need the temperatures to drop. They need everything to, to come into play to try to put this out. But it is a fire that is out of control. And the crazy thing about massive fires is that they started like that. My mom was in high school growing up in Charlotte, North Carolina. She was a party. She was at a party in high school. And while they were at one of those late night parties that teenagers go to, my mom, this would have been in like late 19, this has been somewhere in 1960s, 1970s. My mom was at a party and the house caught on fire. The house burnt to the ground and some of her friends died in that fire. Listen to this. My mom's brother, Gary Keith Reed, died at 17 years old in a house fire at a high school party. My mom's brother. I never got to know him. It was my uncle that I never got to meet. He died when he was 17 in a house fire. You know what started it? A cigarette that fell into the couch. Burnt the whole house down. Killed some people. That's pretty serious, isn't it? It's pretty dangerous, is it not? Sometimes it takes something that small to start something that big. Can a house burn down from a cigarette spark? Can it? Well, James goes there and he tells us about the bit in the horse's mouth and he tells us about the rudder on the ship and he tells us about the small fire that starts a forest fire. And so what do we get from this? What is James doing? James is wanting us to see exactly what verse five says. So also, look at verse five, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. You know, you have this discussion all the time when you start talking about the importance of the body. The the New Testament, especially the book of Corinthians, talks a lot about how the church is is the body of Christ. And the body is made up of many parts, and you need every part, right? And so if you get into this conversation about which body part is more important, right, then you kind of lose focus, right? So what's more important, your right arm or your pinky toe? Well, that's a pretty easy thing to answer. Your right arm is more important than your pinky toe, but you shouldn't make that discussion because your pinky toe is important, right? You see what I'm saying? Every part matters. And James kind of goes there with this by pointing out how much this specific part matters. It matters so much. It is small. Yes, it is small, but you need it. You need your mouth. 
and God gave it to you. The thing about the mouth is that it really does so many things. It's how we communicate. If I didn't have a mouth, I probably wouldn't be doing this right now. It's also how you eat, okay? And there's a lot to understand there, but notice that verse five says, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And while you hear that in and of itself in verse five, and you think, okay, yeah, I get it. James wants you to think further about it. He wants us to linger there likened to a bit in a horse's mouth that can control a big, heavy animal, likened to a rudder on a huge ship that can control this ship, likened to a small fire that would eventually create a forest fire, a devastating, out-of-control forest fire, is your mouth. So never again should you say it's not that big of a deal. In 2020, where it seems like everybody's lost control of their mouths, you will hear all the time, it's just words. Church, I pray that today, according to James chapter three, and the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, according to the truth of the word of God, that you will never again use that excuse that they are just words, they matter. They matter, they matter, they matter. It matters. It is likened to a massive, massive influence. Small parts with a huge influence. Well, how big? How big of an influence? How big of a deal is this? And how much does it matter? And that's where I wanna ask you to turn back to Matthew 15. Matt McBroom read this earlier, but sometimes y'all don't listen when we're reading in the middle of the service. Y'all think it's kind of like an interlude between songs. It's not. It's the public reading of scripture. It goes along with the sermon. If you listen to that, it will help you understand what we're preaching through. The Pharisees, once again, are trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to point out that Jesus is doing some things wrong, that in their religious system, that they know how to lead the religion and that Jesus is messed up. That's where they're at. So in verse 10 of Matthew 15, Jesus says this. He called the people to him and he said to them, hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles the person. What makes you dirty? What, what makes you sinful? Is it all the things you put inside of you? If you drink too many Mountain Dews or Red Bulls or Monsters, is that what's gonna make you a sinful person? No, it doesn't necessarily make you sinful. It might make you unhealthy, but it doesn't necessarily make you sinful, right? How much of that you have would, would be between you and God of whether it's sinful, right? And Jesus is saying here that whether you eat pork or whether you eat chicken or whether you eat sugar or whether you don't, whether you're vegan or whether you eat vegetables or drink milk or don't, that's not really the issue on how you become sinful, not what goes into you. But you know what does? You know what does make you sinful? What comes out of your mouth? That's why we had to go. We had to read this today. We had to. What comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. He goes on, and in verse 14 he says, let them alone, they are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. He's talking about teaching. That goes right with James chapter three, verse one. You're gonna be judged more strictly. Not many of you should become teachers. If you're gonna teach the wrong thing, even if you're a great teacher, even if your students love you, you're a blind guide, and guess where blind guides lead students? In the blind direction, right? Well, look at, keep going, look at uh, verse 16. Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see, look at this, 
that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. That doesn't make you sinful. But verse 18, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. Church is a wake-up call for me and you. Those weren't just words. Those weren't just words. They rolled right off your heart. One of the things that is revealing of how low we are is just how bad we are with the comment sections on social media. Last night, if you watch college football, Kentucky lost a heartbreaker. They missed the point, ex, point after kick. They missed it. And then the other team made it. They lost by one. Sad. And I saw a tweet this morning that had honestly 50 comments of people speaking to the kicker because he missed one kick. And I tried to figure out how I could read some of them to you all, but honestly, I couldn't read any of them in a setting like this. Our kids cannot hear this. It was horrible. It was filthy. The cleanest one I saw said, hey, nice job, kicker. I hope you get COVID and die. That was the cleanest one of 50. You know what Jesus says, which shakes me to my bones? Those weren't just words. They rolled right off of that heart. The next time you're boasting, it's coming right off that heart that loves you, loves you, loves you. The next time you tear them kids down and tell them how terrible and pathetic they are and how you would never do that when you were that little, that rolled right off your heart. The next time you insult her for not being good enough as a wife or smart enough or pretty enough or not able to handle it all that she's supposed to be handling, that rolls right off your heart. The next time you make excuse after excuse after excuse while you're not being uh, disciplined and faithful and obedient and right and, and whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing or you make an excuse to your employer or you make an excuse in your home or you make an excuse in your neighborhood, the next time you do that, that rolls right off your heart. What a scary passage. All the things going into your mouth aren't really what we should be worried about, but that which comes out of your mouth ought to shake you to your core. It came right off your heart. I said earlier, if James addresses speech so often in a a book that is clearly faith without works is dead, faith works, then perhaps speech is the primary work. In that same vein, then perhaps our speech problem according to Jesus in Matthew 15, is more accurately a heart problem. And whether it is that you are, and I gave all these examples, you talk too much, you talk not enough, you're too loud, you you struggle with honesty, you struggle with clarity, you struggle with boasting, harshness, slander, hate speech, rude, crude, ungratefulness, whatever it is, whatever it is, it's not a speech problem, it is a heart problem if Jesus knows what he's talking about. That scares me. There are some times where I am so weak 
that I'll look for anything to say that will get me out of me being the issue. Blame others. Blame my kids, blame my wife, blame my church, blame my peers. And a lot of times, if you're honest, you know it as soon as you say it. You ever said something that hurt somebody and it hurt you just as quick as it came out of your mouth and you thought, why did I say that? How could I have said that? How dirty am I? You ever said something crude that you know you shouldn't have said and you kind of thought everybody else around you would have liked that dirty joke and after you told it, you realized that was awful. I should not have said that. A lot of racist talk in 2020. One of the many things that I think is good in being exposed these days is just how horrible it sounds when I hear a racist comment now. When I hear people talking bad about somebody just because of the way they look, sounds terrible now, doesn't it? Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that things that used to be so normal in white homes and white families are really exposed now? Those aren't just words. Listen to me, folks. That ain't just how you were raised. Now, it is just how you were raised, but it ain't only just how you were raised. That's how you were raised from wicked hearts. That's how you were raised from ugly hearts. And it ain't gonna get past the judgment. It is not. There are gonna be zero conversations with God in judgment about, well, it's all right. I know that's just how you're raised. It's okay for you to be a fool or an idiot or evil or hatred or hateful because that's how you're raised. Now, I'm sorry if that's how you were raised. And to some degree, all of us are affected by that. But when Jesus says our speech problem is a heart problem, it ought to get our attention. So look back with me at James chapter three and we'll draw the conclusion here. Two warnings, teachers will be judged with greater strictness. And number two, we all struggle with this. Three examples, bits in a horse's mouth, rudders on large ships, and small fires in a forest fire that, that, that demonstrate to us that small parts have a huge influence. And so the conclusion here is, you better get control of it. The conclusion here is you better get control of it. And let's see what it says here. Verse six. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. That's a broad statement, is it not? But it's true. And set on fire by hell. And not so much that hell influenced that, but rather, listen to me, that the king of hell, or the prince of hell, Satan did. Satan rules in our wicked hearts without Christ and our words come off of that. So James says that your speech has been set on fire by hell. But then James says this, and this is where, this is where we end today. Every kind of beast and bird and reptile sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. This is where he goes. We gotta get control of it. We gotta get control of it. 
But what I love about James is he is so gospel-centered. He's so Jesus-centered. James will not let us hear a letter or a sermon on morality. And you're kind of caught as the listener right now when you think that the conclusion to this sermon would be you better get control of it. And perhaps forever we have been teaching wrongly, we'll be judged for that, that you better get control of your tongues and do better. And while there is something to that message, that is not the message. Because James goes there and he shows that lions have been tamed. Go to the next circus and you'll see that. Elephants have been tamed. Yo, you can see that. Wild eagles have been tamed. They can get them to fly in and land right there on their arm. It's fascinating. Every animal there is has been tamed by mankind. It's a fascinating study that humans know how to tame everything. Humans are impressive. They can tame any animal there is. And we stand in all of that, do we not? I've been to the circus one time and I saw a two-ton elephant stand on one leg. Think about that. A two-ton elephant raise up like this and then they say, now, now do it one leg. And they can get a two-ton elephant to do that. Isn't that amazing? James says they can. But for as impressive as humans are at taming animals, there is one thing they cannot get under control. There is one thing that you cannot get under control. Your mouth. You definitely can't tame everybody else's mouths. You can't even tame your own. James says you cannot tame it. Verse eight, no human being can tame the tongue. So what's the answer? Only God can. Only God can. Only God can tame the tongue. He's the only one that can do this. So what we must do is we must identify how big the mouth is and how important it is that it's the primary work. We must identify that our mouth problem is rather a heart problem. We must be bothered by that and convicted of that. And we must not walk out of here today saying, I'm gonna try to do better. I'm gonna try to clean it up. I'm gonna make a list of all these words I'm not gonna say. I'm gonna start giving two compliments to my wife before I actually start insulting her. Try to swing the tide in the direction of being more positive and the power of positive speech and all that kind of stuff. No, no. James says, you need to surrender your heart to God and ask God to get this under control. And what we have are a lot of Christian people who will not do what I just said. And so they keep saying they're Christian and their mouth keeps being ungodly. They are like a mouth that blesses our Lord and Father and curses people. They are like a mouth that has blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. They are like a spring that pours forth both fresh water and salt water, and that is impossible. They are like a tree that is trying to bear olives and figs. It is not possible. They are like a salt pond that is trying to produce fresh water, and that is not possible. You cannot say that you are surrendered to Jesus if you have not asked Jesus to take control of your tongue. You cannot. So what our issue is here today is that we better get control of it by admitting that we cannot control it. We bow our hearts. We bow our knee. We bow everything about us in surrender. And we say, God, help me with my speech. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of this filthy mouth. And may my mouth reflect that you reign. 
May my mouth reflect that you're worthy. May my mouth reflect that this mouth will stand in judgment. The Bible says that we will be held accountable for every word we speak, the Bible says. Our speech problem is actually a heart problem. We had a family in a church that had a baby just two days ago. And we didn't have to ask whether it was a boy or a girl because we already knew, right? It's kind of cool. That's fairly a new thing. Throughout the history of the world, if a lady was pregnant, they didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, right? Throughout the history of the world, they didn't even know if there were two in there. Imagine that. That seems crazy these days. For there to be two babies inside the womb and, and us not know that there were two there. But now we have something called ultrasound imaging or sonography. Y'all know what that is, right? They can take the mom and put that thing on there. I've been through this five times, been through this a hundred times actually. They put that thing there and they roll it around like that. They got to put that gel on there first so it doesn't burn her belly. And they roll it around like that. And they got a computer screen right there and they will show you what's inside there. It's the coolest thing. They can, show, they can tell you if it's a boy or a girl. They can tell you if you got five fingers on your hand. It's images of what's going on inside of there. Isn't that cool? What it is without getting inside there it shows you what's inside there. If you're wanting to check yourself spiritually, you want to see what's inside your heart, you can't get inside there. But your mouth will show you. Your mouth will do an ultrasound, if you will, of what's inside there. If you love God, it'll flow. If you're humbled and grateful, you'll be appreciative. If you've got peace because God's been so kind to you, kindness will come out. If you're thankful that no matter what, your sins are forgiven through Jesus, thanksgiving will come out. If you've been forgiven because of how Sinful you've been. You'll be forgiving. You don't need an ultrasound to see what's inside of there. I don't need an x-ray machine to check your spirituality. Jesus and James say, the mouth will let you know. The mouth will let you know what's inside there. Today, let's bow our hearts. Let's bow all of us to Jesus because he's worthy of it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Father, thank you for James just being so hard on us. We need it and we can take it, God. God, we're not beat down because we know you love us. You have forgiveness for us. But thanks for James being strong with us. God, we want our speech to reflect what we're doing. God, help us not to have a Dare to Care food pantry with $64,000 to do more if our speech ain't gonna line up with it. God, help us not to have all of these children all over the place in this church now if we're not gonna teach them the truth. 
God, help us to not have marriages all over the place and premarital counseling going on every single week, God. Help us not to have all this fruitfulness in marriages if our speech is not gonna be uplifting to husband and wife. God, help us not sing songs to you like you're worthy if we're gonna curse you as soon as we're done singing. Father, help us to see that our speech problem is actually a heart problem. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.